the heaviest fucking band in the world, man. You know, blue. You only have Blue Cheer. You don't have Black Sabbath. You know, fucking uh, Black Sabbath. You know, yeah. First, I mean, that's fucking. I mean, Blue Cheer's first real fucking heavy metal band, but everyone talks about Sabbath being the first heavy metal band, man. And then uh, Black Sabbath. You know, you get you get fucking Randy Rhodes on guitar. Fucking rest in peace. Uh, you know, Randy Rhodes, Wade fucking whale on guitar. You'll get Randy Rhodes. You don't get fucking Kerry King, man. You know, Kerry King, uh, fucking Slayer, man. That, that fucking solo on Angel of Death, man. And then you don't you don't have Kerry King. Uh, rest in peace, Jeff Hanneman. But Kerry King, he's still fucking around, man. And then if you got Kerry King, you. You don't have Kerry King, you don't have fucking Zach Wild, man. And if you don't have fucking Zach Wild, you don't have shit, man. Zach Wild, fucking in this river, fucking rest in peace, dime. You know, you know, I mean, you don't have fucking dime. You don't have. Dad, my mom put a restraining order on you. She can't fucking stop me! Hey, everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Sprite remix of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, aka Wife Got the First Press of Paranoid in the Divorce. And I'm the black metal guy, a.k.a. Overwatch 2 NSBM scandal. <laughs> Which uh, is basically just an Overwatch 1 NSBM scandal for another $60, am I right? <laughs> just just laugh politely at the gamer joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, we gotta, we gotta get you, uh, We got to get you back on Elden Ring or something, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I I'll I'll be back to get. Oh yes, I have. The return to the gaming sphere will be, will be good. <laughs> like, I you know it, it's fascinating how the. Uh, I I've always I've always liked how the social dynamics of playing video games has changed. Um, just because, you know, when we were growing up, it was like an identity marker. And now saying you play video games means nothing in the same way as like saying you watch movies means nothing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, it's, it's not a cultural identity anymore, even though people desperately want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, man, my brain is dead tonight. (laughs) <laughs> it was dead last time too on our bonus no, episode no it wasn't we we had a we recorded one of our best episodes ever i was just a little spacey now i'm like super spacey <laughs> speaking of maybe uh, this will be our best 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 episode ever yes yes maybe maybe a little bit of a spacey black metal guy is the the way to go a a yeah. dark space guy if you will. takes takes the edge off me yeah <laughs> Uh, so yeah, actually, that bonus episode that we uh, we just released yesterday is one of our best works. Um, it is a bonus episode, a patron pick where we cover the legendary album Lycathia by Lycathia Flame, Elveniferous. Um, it is a big fucking episode. It's like over two hours of discussion of just one record, and it's probably some of the best work we've ever done. But the question is, you're wondering, I mean, you're clearly uh, moist and turgid at the prospect of listening to that. So how do you get access? Well, here's how you do it. You do it by subscribing to us on Patreon. $3 and up will get you access to that bonus episode and many, many more. And $5 and up will get you access to the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server where you can listen to the episode and then confront its heady possibilities with like-minded fellows all over the world. Wow. That's the, you know, that was the most sort of um, lofty pitch you've ever done. <laughs> On a less lofty note, it's, uh, 
it seems like we we are forever slewing around 25 subs on on patreon if we could somehow get like to 30 stably that would be awesome Obviously. What we should do is we should just start, we should be like old school Call of Duty YouTubers and just like hold our content hostage unless more people, it's like, I'm going to need 500 likes before I do the next video, guys. <laughs> well, shit, shouldn't we do squats or something? <laughs> my, next, my, my next quick scoping montage. Mm. Do squats like like in an OnlyFans S way? Like for, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like squats for subs, man. Squats for subs. Jesus. Fucking what was it? It's Twitch. Oh, 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 okay. Oh yeah. It was those it's that. those chicks who have turned yeah, it's the the Twitch's own Twitch's only fans now. Yeah, yeah, to turn yeah, to yeah. softcore pornography for middle mm -hmm. schoolers. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just us in like fucking metal tank tops doing squats. <laughs> just crying the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so yeah, I guess we'll uh we'll if, if, hey guys, if we get up to uh, 50 subs on Patreon, we'll start uh, we'll start doing some explicit content for the adults out there. Um, so uh, <laughs> so that's what that's what you do if you want to support us. Another way to support us is to of course follow us on social media. You can follow me, the Death Metal Guy, on Facebook at Terminus Podcast, or the Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. And we got some plans to uh, start doing some more content on those platforms. Don't don't fucking get crazy. It's nothing special, but just be a little bit more interactive and do some more stuff on those instead of just kind of like rolling around using those business accounts to stalk ex-girlfriends yada yada you know oh oh yeah so i think we're one thing we are going to do soon is get our intern hyper shaman to start managing those you didn't just say that did you uh, i mean i wasn't going to say directly who was going to be managing it and reveal that we were offshoring our fucking oh, work. no i think you gotta do <laughs> i think you gotta do that the point is it's a growing and i think it's totally fair game he's our intern it is a growing institution and and also you know you want people to realize that like the person who immediately checks the message might not be us but we will still be checking them and if you've got like a correspondence with us you can um yeah you, know, you can continue we, that you'll you can continue that and like if if you're new you haven't contacted us and that's your pro you can always email but if you really want to contact us through ig or facebook and you know you can always just tell tell hyper shaman that you want to you have some message for me or for death metal guy <laughs> you know you have a, a a scroll clutched in the talons of a raven <laughs> yeah yeah you can you can no you you relay it to our page <laughs> um, yeah, it's like everyone's been really nice interacting with us in social media. With Hyper Shaman taking over, that needs to stop immediately. You need to put him in his place and just like... Go, boy! Fetch water <laughs> for my horse! Exactly, that's how you need to do it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so uh, hopefully with him uh, doing some of that, we're going to have some more stuff going on. It'll free up a little bit of our time to do more main show content and stuff, and uh, we'll just uh, see how it kind of plays out. I say it's like we have more time to do more main show content. It's probably going to get eaten up by real life shit immediately. That's how it tends to no, work. No, no, we, we got to just maintain the... Yeah, let, let's just try and maintain the main show for a while. <laughs> I think that's that's the focus. Let's see if we can function like human beings for more than a couple weeks at a time. Um, so, speaking of main show, we've got one for you. And uh, up front, we haven't done one of these in a while. I wanted to do a mini review of a record that 
I don't know if I was really waiting on, because it's always a, a long time between releases for this guy, but I was always curious to hear a follow-up. Uh, we're just going to do a, a short little look at the new release by Cold World, which is Isolation, his third full-length record released on Eisenwald. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, I bet most people are probably familiar with Cold World, but just in case you're not, uh, Cold World is a DSBM project. Don't don't let anyone confuse you. They're going to say complicated things like atmospheric post-black metal. It's a fucking DSBM project uh, that's been around since uh, about 2005 uh, and always kind of had a little bit um, outsized status for the genre. You know, Cold World tended to be like one of the DSBM artists that non-DSBM people would listen to. Uh, so in 2005, there was the first EP. There was Melancholy Squared, the first full length in 08, followed by Autumn, the second full length in 2016, which is actually my personal favorite. Uh, and now, six years later, we have the, uh, the newest full length, Isolation. Uh, and you're actually a Cold World fan, too, or at least you kind of like you've appreciated it in the past. Yeah, from, from the margins. I, I wouldn't say, I'm not sure I've ever, I don't think I've ever listened to a whole Cold World record. I just, um, it's one of those rare bands where like a particular song got me. I'm sure it's the one that everyone likes, but uh, Tortured by Solitude is really, really good. That's a classic. Yeah. It's so good. What, what record was that on? I think that was Melancholy. Let me. Yeah, it's yeah. Melancholy Squared. Yeah, and I think I, I heard it covered by a good sort of Ukrainian symphonic BM band. I can't remember. That's where I like encountered it. I gonna take me a sec to remember the name of the band, but they've put out some good stuff lately. Uh, I think the guy. I think he's a young dude who played in Crota. Um, okay. da, 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 da. Let's see. Just just because. Just to throw out that reference point. Oh, yeah, escapism with a K. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, depressive mood, but very sort of like symphonic Slav. Anyway, back to Cold World. Uh, yeah. This is, um, yeah, it, it's just really what DSBM should be. It's sort of driving, uh, deeply dis... Uh, and has this kind of... Um, I don't know, sort of like, uh, you know, that that song in particular has a kind of, there's a kind of like lilting tenderness in the chord progressions and stuff, but also, you know, I remember there's one place where he fucks the interval up deliberately at the end, and mm -hmm. it's, uh, it, you know, that's a characteristic thing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Cold World is a, a project that tends to catch the ears of people who aren't even necessarily into DSBM. Just because the guy behind it, uh, George Borner, is uh, just a really remarkably capable musician and sort of arranger. Mm -hmm. um, and something that a lot of people don't seem to know about him is that the majority of the music that he does in general tends to be like folk music. Uh, he plays with a lot of sort of small folk ensembles, uh, plays like, you know, violin, nickel harpa, stuff like that. And you'll hear a lot of that in Cold World, but I, I'm guess I don't know uh, George's main career, but it wouldn't surprise me if he worked professionally in music. Mm. And a lot of that sort of professional, like, quote-unquote, real musician stuff really filters into Cold World. Oh, oh, yeah. So one of the folk bands is um, Sangre de Mordago, which mm -hmm. is a, uh, I think, Spanish or yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it's it's neofolk, and it's it's unusually sort of uh, cute neofolk, but it's <laughs> it's very like soothing and playful and lovely. Yeah, I was listening to some of it earlier today. It's really nice mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that's part of the appeal of Cold World is that. You know, it's it's still got the sort of like simplicity that DSBM should have, but with sophisticated arrangements behind it, and um, just a sense of polish that the genre tends to lack. Um, and that's no different on isolation. You know, when I saw this was coming out, I assumed that it was going to be more of the same high quality work. And it is, which is why we're just doing a mini review is because we're just checking in with this guy. Yes, it's a very good record. If you like other Cold World, you're going to enjoy this one. Um, And certainly Cold World doesn't need that much support from the Tiny Metal podcast. It's okay to just, you know, check in on him. But there is some really outstanding material on it. So uh, real quick, let's go to the, the first full track on the record which might actually be the best this is a this is like a top tier cold world song uh, it's called soundtrack to isolation uh it's an instrumental piece and uh there is you the the arrangement of the uh like folk instrument voices against the dsbm material is just spectacular uh, all of the, he's got, you know, an array of elemental, but really beautiful riffs. But when the violins start layering in, it's just, it, it takes you right back to melancholy squared.
so yeah, the um, uh, just the 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 way he layers in different instrumental voices is really beautiful across this whole record. Oh yeah, I mean, just those. Uh, you you cut the sample at a great time because you could just hear that much denser string orchestration. Yeah, I, I it was like I I thought about including it. It's like no, listen listen to the whole song together and. Yeah, it's like that'll be a little sneak peek for the guys because then it just really takes off there. <laughs> well, you know, it's even the passage before that is cool when there's that sort of like that sort of shift to a more um, a sort of bleak major chord thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that's like I can hear what you mean about his composition being really influenced by like arrangement and soundtrack because that part sounds that's like a Lord of the Rings song. Lord of the Rings theme kind of change. Yeah, yeah. It's that kind uh, of, I'm not sure what the technical word for it would be, but you suddenly, it lifts into this major key thing. Yeah, I, I, I could definitely, like I said, I wasn't able to find any information about what kind of a George's day job is, but it would not shock me if he worked on soundtracks for movies or video games or something like that. Mm. Uh, something about this whole record seems really informed by sort of soundtrack music in general, uh, mm-hmm. f- folk arrangement, just just sort of like ideas of sonic arrangement that aren't coming necessarily from within heavy metal, but fit in very well uh, for his compositional style. And of course, you know, it's melodically just lovely uh, stuff. Yeah. Well, that's part of the thing, right? It's that one reason, say, a lot of, um, well, one reason a lot of metal that aspires to a certain kind of... Um, uh, whether it's just a certain kind of metal that strives for a certain kind of, um, whether it, like melodic hookiness or a certain kind of, uh, you know, sort of emotional, emotional profundity that's outside the usual orbit of metal emotions, right? Mm-hmm. When bands do that, they're often reaching for this richer sense of melody and harmony that, like, they simply don't have the capacity to execute, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, you get stuff that's accidentally pop music and accidentally reflects the greatest cliches of pop music. Mm-hmm. And the irony is that if someone is used to composing in a style that is closer to normal ideas of melody and song and uh, immediate emotional impact, right? Then, like, if someone could write a pop song if you wanted to, then he can write much more effective stuff that is seriously metal while accessing these kinds of big cinematic emotions. Yeah, I think that's important to recognize is that um, in in the process of going for, uh, call it more cinematic style music within metal, it is a completely different array of techniques with its own rules. And it seems a little bit easier in a lot of senses to go from the more conventional style into the metal style than vice versa. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, it's like what I said about like how, you know, there are a bunch of like post 2000s and current, you know, punk scene bands knocking off goth rock and none of them get it because it's like the whole point was that Robert Smith and like, you know, uh, Carl McCoy could like fucking write a hook. (laughs) <laughs> uh, or like write a melody um it's um and and that was part of the musical depth there but yeah i love how you know this is just 
it also, you know, it has that... I mean, this is obviously much more intensely sad than the Asgra we reviewed last week, but it's similarly a kind of just like, uh, I don't know, very very black metal way of being sad. It's mm-hmm. it's it's not on the bad spectrum of... On a place in DSBM that we can both agree kind of sucks, right? There's that sort of like self in... There's stuff that can just be sort of like self-indulgent and listless mm-hmm. and mopey, right? And on the other side of it, there's stuff that uh, I respect from a distance and that you really like that has this achieves this profundity by pushing it to like emotional breakdown territory. Yeah, right? yeah. That's just totally cracked and demented. Mm-hmm. And I I can respect that. But this is this band is just like somebody who is keeping it together and is just really 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 fucking sad. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's it, it is. It. <laughs> It, it is, um, it, I guess this is a case where we'd say this is, like, almost mannered, but in a good way. How do you mean? Uh, in the sense that it's, like, this is very, like, consciously composed music for a particular emotional effect, but it doesn't lose any of its immediate charge in oh, that I, knowledge. Yeah. I see what you mean, that it's not, like, it's not the kind of immediacy of, like, you know, with, like, um... You know, I'm in a coffin or something where it's like they literally just plug in and play the saddest riff they can think of, and that's yeah, the song. yeah. This yeah. is this is very organized and very principled, but it's uh, it's still that doesn't make it inauthentic. Yeah, well, it's it's not so maybe relative to DSBM, it would be kind of mannered. I guess I just I think it's just closer to black metal ideas of composition as not expressive. Yeah. DSBM is very expressive in ways that I either don't like or are not my thing. Mm-hmm. And this is more, this is a more, uh, maybe a more impersonal take on those emotions. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Although it also does have that deep, per, deeply personal aspect to it. It is, there is an undertone of desperation in this stuff. It's been like in, in a lot of his music that's very powerful. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it is supposed to be. I mean, it, it really is the most kind of professional, elegant take on some of these ideas that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and with that, uh, talking about black metal specifically, I want to go to the final track on this record, Hymnus. Um, so, something that's always been cool about Cold World is that, yeah, he definitely dwells in much more conventionally melodic sort of uh, pop and soundtrack oriented composition. But there really is a core of Cold World that is a fucking black metal band. Uh, there, uh, between Autumn and this record, he did a lot of just like little EP releases um, with one of those being called Nostalgia back in 2018, which is... It's much more akin to like '90s black metal. Like he's got a he's got a pentagram in his logo for that one. Mm-hmm. So he very much recognizes that this is at a, even though DSBM has in some ways sort of jettisoned off into its own field. Cold World is still a black metal band in his vision. So Hymnus is a really cool song because you'll hear immediately that this is uh, this has got like a crushing gnarly black metal riff at its core. Mm-hmm. 
I like I like how that whole song is really built off the sort of like the sort of the more melodic slow parts of like Avski riffs or something like that, you know, oh. that those sort of oh. like poisonous malevolent ones. Oh, no, that's a um that's a Brave Murder Day riff. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. If you're talking about the first big heavy one that kind of sets the sets yeah, the yeah. pace for the song, yeah. I mean, not like exactly. I can hear it's definitely like on BMD. There are definitely riffs like that that are closer to more kind of have somewhat sweeter harmonies or are a bit closer to like post like goth stuff. Mm-hmm. But like it's it, it's some of them are uh, much more dissonant than like. You know, I mean, I think one reason it's kind of a forgotten root of DSBM is that it doesn't totally answer to the sensibilities of a lot of the people who got into it because it's it's extremely heavy and has parts that just sound like Burzum and that just sound like Death Doom. Yeah. Um, well, what's really cool about this record, I, I didn't sample it, but uh, there is a uh, <laughs> there is a song called We Are Doomed on it, which is sort of the lead single of the record, which is. Mm-hmm basically a straight catatonia song it is a straight peaceville doom death song and cold world in general is like definitely at the forefront of the whole kind of catatonia wing of dsbm that makes a lot of sense yeah 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 Yeah. um so i i I like that there's there's that there's another track called wound uh which is also very in the vein of um sort of gnarlier, more definitively black metal. This is a, a this is a record that sort of gets more wretched as it continues. <laughs> nice. It's it's like sweeter up front and then it kind of decays down into more miserable territory. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I just really like it. Uh, the the uh, ambient stuff that dots the record is also very nice. He's got a history of providing like actual quality, meaningful ambient material mm-hmm. in his music. And I guess, I guess if there's any point that I want to make, apart from obviously very good record, anyone who's into Cold World or DSBM is going to enjoy this greatly, is uh, I kind of want to get back to just the way people talk about it. Um, because just in prep for this, I was listening to the record, I was dotting around looking at old reviews of his, of his older records or of this one. And it's amazing how many people, especially after like the first record when the term fell out of vogue, no one describes this as DSBM anymore. Which really, I've, yeah, which I find really weird. It's it's as though DSBM is only a pejorative term. It's not like a genre descriptor anymore. Well, the band, to his credit, YouTube still says uh, uh, ambient slash depressive. Which I mean, you don't need ambient on the front of it, but like it does make sense as a label. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least it's not being marketed as post-black, but a lot of people, they call it, like, post-black? Yeah, they're calling it, like, post-black or atmo-black or something, and I, I guess the funny thing to me is, just in a historical context, because we've we've sort of unraveled a lot of what DSBM is about, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that there's, it's nobody's fault, I'm not being conspiratorial, but there, <laughs> well, maybe a little conspiracy, you know, <laughs> Um there is almost this weird historical revisionism that's gone on that the guys who do post-black or the originating forces in post-black are the people who brought things like shoegaze and post-punk. Oh, total lie. Total, absolute fucking lie. Yeah, they pulled up the ladder behind them. Yeah, they pulled it. That's what they did. Exactly. You just knock off a bunch of DSBM bands and hide the evidence. You hide the evidence, and it it blows my mind because the... 
And it especially does a disservice in terms of black metal because the real story is who were the first guys to get really into incorporating those elements and taking the best parts of them and bringing them into black metal for the rest of us to use? It was fucking DSBM guys. You know, it's like you wouldn't have, um, Jesus Christ, you wouldn't have bands like, uh, like Total Self-Hatred. You wouldn't have bands like Life Lover. Uh, I mean, you, frankly, you wouldn't even have, um, you know, stuff like Gris or probably even Nectalgia without some sort of understanding of things like shoegaze oh. and, and oh life lover it was obvious that's one of the things i immediately liked about life lover was that it was like influenced by some of the both the punkier and more lush goth stuff um yeah and um yeah long before and then you get a band like i mean god the one of the first people to milk it for novelty was amasers mm, um yeah and, yeah and it was so clumsy um <laughs> and and that comes out a couple years later. You know, that's like, that's it's already behind. And then we start getting into the post-black stuff. And just that whole idea of how you write songs is like a horrible race-to-the-bottom game of telephone from DSBM. Yeah, so we, it's, it's like, so everybody listens to DSBM. Everybody takes all this, like, crucial technology that they were, those guys mm. were instrumental in bringing yeah. in. And now we're all going to fucking pretend that it was a bunch of goddamn Brooklyn art students that did it. Give me a fucking break, kid. Hi, this is Taylor from Crushing the Scepter, and you're listening to Terminus Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I want to I want to paint a picture for you real quick before we start this review. Uh, let's say that I have a uh, a record uh, where the uh, cover is a black and white drawing. The band's logo and the album title are in sort of a reddish yellow hue, and uh, this drawing is depicting a nude woman uh, having a recently given birth. Uh, eating her newborn infant alive as several satanic priests observe and uh, consult their manuals in the background. The band is called Blood Chalice, and the record is called The Blasphemous Psalms of Cannibalism. And you're probably wondering right now, does this sound exactly the way that I imagine it does? And the answer is yes. So what is our next record of the night? <laughs> so yeah, okay. Uh, Blood Chalice, Blasphemous Psalms of Cannibalism out on Werewolf Records. Uh, this is the band's second full length. Uh, first one was uh, in 2017 called Sepulchral Chants of Self-Destruction. And big shock, these guys are from Finland. And uh, yeah, this is exactly what you would expect it to be. Uh putrid, really aggressive Finnish black death in the vein of Archgoat, Beherit, uh, Anal Blasphemy, if they could play their instruments, and the list goes on. This is exactly what you expect, and it is a phenomenal execution of the style. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, often it's just like, well, there's another one of those goat records. But this is something that 
on a surface level, is completely down the line of what is expected, and yet is just one of the best executions of it we've heard in, I don't know, since we started doing the show? Yeah, probably. This is We, we liked that Upon the Altar record from last year, but it didn't quite stick around for either of us. Mm, yeah, yeah. The upon the altar was really, and good. it was also yeah. not. It was also not quite as by the book as this. That was a little bit more experimental, and that was a little bit. That was moving a little bit toward like the profanatica style too. Mm-hmm. This is <laughs> this is very within its own realm. Uh, I, I th- I, at this point, it's like people think of Finnish black metal based on the Sargeist Hornimold uh, and Satanic Warmaster, Goat Moon, all that stuff. But this whole other world of Mm -hmm. just, like, really, um, really disgusting, very, very death metal, I think that's something to emphasize. This is probably more of a death metal than a black metal record. Um, Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, but this is a whole niche that's been going on for a lot of years. Like, maybe if you you think back ten years, people probably remember the band Baptism that was in this vein that was very popular for a while. Um... But it's, it's something that's always been special to me, and we both really, really like Archgoat. So as soon as I saw the album cover here, um, and I realized these were the same guys who did an interview with Rauta on YouTube a few years ago where the band members would take turns answering questions while they power lifted. Oh, was the, that? The, that was the band. That's Blood Chalice, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Powerlifting war metal werewolf commandos, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I remember this interview. This is These guys are legends. <laughs> it's just, it's fucking great, man. I, you know, I thought maybe it was them, but then I didn't have time to look into it. Thank you for confirming that. Yes, um, this is those fucking maniacs. <laughs> all right. Well, so, so, like, I guess we better start explaining, um... What sets this apart? I mean, do we just dive in to... It's probably best done in the concrete, right? Uh, yeah. Let's let let's, the samples. Yeah, let's jump right into the samples. Um, so I, I'm going to play... We're going to play most of these just in full because these are pretty compact songs. Uh, and I'm just going to... I'm going to do the big obvious thing is I'm going to play the kind of hit single off of this record, which is called Anti-Christian War Declaration because fucking of course it's called that. <laughs> We've been declaring it since the early 90s, but it's, you know, you gotta, sometimes you gotta remind them. It's like renewing your vows in a marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
Yeah, I like how the song only has two riffs. And uh, I like that they... Uh, and the, I guess there's a third riff which is not playing a riff. You know. Um. <laughs> you mean the one that comes in towards the end? Or? No, that's just the original riff. I'm just talking about when the guitar drops out and they do the bass and drum stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, w- one thing that's prominent for this band is uh, this band's a little bit on the brain because I just saw them live for the first time in a long time last week, but there seems to be like a prominent Nunslaughter influence uh, for these guys. Now, obviously a lot of this is just cut directly from the same finish scene they came up in, but basically this is a song that does the raid the convent thing with the, uh, the cool like vocal driven guitar dropout passage for an entire verse. Uh, before they they just crank back into that main riff again. Um, most of the material on this record is just obviously just incredibly simple and incredibly elemental. It's not really riff based music, but they love peeling off just these like blood curdling Celtic Frost style riffs, and it keeps your attention even despite being incredibly simple most of the time. Yeah, that's a. Um so wait, is that Nunslaughter song sort of mid tempo like this? Oh uh, no, that's that's a faster one, but it's got the same conceit. That's sort of like a an, a proto punk death metal stomper thing, mm-hmm. um, and then these guys just do kind of a, a ride for revenge take on the same idea. Yeah, yeah, certainly some ride for revenge in that bass break, mm-hmm. uh, and just the general. Uh, mm, yeah, the extreme, the fact that they do these extreme slowdowns on the slow parts, but still maintain this physicality. Oh, yeah. That, the, the slowdowns aren't really doomy. The momentum is unbelievable. Mm. <laughs> this, this, this feels like a very heavy object that periodically moves very quickly. <laughs> yeah, so one thing we've talked about, speaking of that, um, the quick the quickness, and one thing we've talked about with the... Uh, with Ride for Revenge, right, is this kind of weird, uh, or not weird, this kind of, the the forgotten hardcore influence and just, cr- or, you know, stenchcore or whatever, just heavy crust and punk, punkish stuff influencing something like Ride for Revenge. Or like for Ride for Revenge, noise rock also, right? Yeah. But for these guys too, you noted, one thing that had me really interested was you noted in the schedule when you put this up that, you know, there was arrogant hardcore yeah. <laughs> right, right, sort of like, like basically, like, what if you did the whole sort of Ares Kingdom style thrash thing, but as hardcore, right? Sort of warrior, uh, northern warrior hardcore, and you certainly <laughs> hear that here. Uh, I, I was thinking of it more like a sneering, contemptuous way. <laughs> well, that's what I. Well, that, yeah, that goes with it. That, that yeah. I mean, yes, it's um, hardcore delivered. I guess what I meant is, you know, hardcore delivered with a very black metal mood. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that is exactly what's happening here. Uh, I mean, you can even hear it on the vocal delivery on on that last track. Um, oh yeah, but like, um, it's also it's a little clearer in some of the fast parts, uh, and so, and here you'll hear not just immediate influence from, you know. Uh, from from punk stuff, but also uh, Finnish extreme metal that is very influenced by hardcore. So this is going to be Burned Faith.
<laughs> Man, when I listened to this record just to prep for the review, I was just like cackling uncontrollably like half the time. <laughs> yeah, no, it, this was this was definitely a headbang, uh, headbang in the kitchen record. Uh, <laughs> it's um the yeah. So w- what to talk about there? I mean, first, right the um. You know, one of the problems with war metal can be artificially excluding certain techniques that, mm. uh, for not being Black Death enough or whatever, or like not being on Fallen Angel of Doom or something. <laughs> uh, like, and one thing that can go by the wayside is like uh, just basic propulsive hardcore, hardcore drumming and, and thrash drumming. Uh, and, you know, for instance, like Diocletian, I, I've never heard play a, str- a straightforward, like a one-two beat, except yeah. they cover a crust song on what, like, they have a live cover, and it's just crushing. And you're like, can you just do that in a song, please? <laughs> um, and uh, here, right, these guys are doing it, right? So you have this rigid one-two skank beat with this very deliberately geometrical placement of chords over it, right? And it's that is um, that's really how Convulse plays. Uh, right, Convulse is this um, early Finnish death metal band that came out of the punk scene and sort of re- returned to it not mm. long after. Yeah. They had an unusually cold guitar tone that makes them a little bit black metal adjacent, um, but it was also just really punkish and minimal, and they would have these sort of, uh, just, just um, you know, like the blasting part to there, how they just went from one, they went from the, the Kerry King solo blast to another very similar blast riff right yeah. after it, which was awesome. And the kind right? of... That, that, that's, well, that's kind of like convulse stuff to do. Yeah, I was just going to say also the the kind of blast beats they do across this record are interesting and are really sort of like rickety early 90s blast beats. I think they might be one foot instead of, you know, kind of doing the splitting it uh, between double kicks. I think these might mm-hmm. be single foot blasts, which always give a very different inflection to a blast beat. They feel faster. Yeah. This they, this. They feel when more these, strained. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can feel the energy in the plane, which is always good. Yeah. Why would you play? I mean, to some degree, it's like, wait, if you're using double pedal, is it even a blast? <laughs> well, it's a, call me a traditionalist, but uh, you know. Well, it allows you to crank the tempo even further, but it just it never feels quite as intense. Yeah, yeah. fast is a feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's not it's, just uh, BPM. Exactly. Yeah, you can BPM as fast as you want, and then you're like tech death. Who cares? Um, but so that was, so that's an important thing about this band. When they blast, it sounds really, really fast. Um, and that is often completely missing in, in modern war metal. There's a kind of understated musicianship. If a style depends a lot on sort of simple riffing delivered with great extremity, then there's a kind of understated secret musicianship required for it. And these guys have that in spades. Yeah. Um, well, I think a lot of that comes from using the sort of archgoat paradigm that places a premium on heaviness. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's like I was saying, uh, you know, just because this is released on Werewolf Records and it beca- because it has the aesthetic that it does, this is going to be seen from a black metal context, which I think is mostly 
inappropriate for this. This is closer to master. This is primitive death metal, fundamentally. Um, And as a result, you get something with a qualitatively very different from a band doing this kind of style that's more invested in the black metal parts of it. You know, you get that that premium placed on heaviness and physical energy right. and momentum. Which, yeah. And you avoid the whole trying to sound like blasphemy but accidentally sounding like, you know, third hand Marduk kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um uh, the other thing is um the other sort of punkish black metal y Finnish death metal is Ripakulu, which yeah. Seems also pretty relevant to this. Not, I don't know if you hear specific kinds of Ripakulu knuckle dragging riffs, but their way of doing the blasting and stuff and general focus on heaviness. And then, of course, in the background with those racing punk beat passages, uh, Impaled Nazarene. Yeah. And another thing that I wanted to bring up, uh, I'll have a sample that outlines it a little bit more mm-hmm. later on. But there is a, a really important and understated, like, pure grindcore influence on this record, um, which also reflects Impaled Nazarene. Like, if you're listening to the first and, record... And yeah. Convulse, for sure. Yeah, and Convulse. But, like, a lot of people a lot of people get really used to, like, Suomi Finland Percolet and later records, but a lot of people don't listen to, like, Tolkorp Nors Nors Nors, the first Imp Naz record, which is, like, a black grindcore record, fundamentally. Um, there are riffs on this Blood Chalice record that are just grind riffs. They sound like internal rot riffs or something, mm-hmm. you know? They, they, they have nothing to do with either black or death metal. But that, that sort of direct appreciation of the source material uh, gives it a really different quality. Just because, um, you know, if you're accessing the grind just based off of appreciating other war metal bands, you miss something originary about that. You have to listen to the origin of those grinding qualities mm-hmm. to, to bring them in in an appreciable way. Yeah. And as far as local... So, yeah, I guess, I mean... I don't know. So, any other, like, songwriting stuff from that thing we really need to talk about? Oh, like... Oh, okay, while we're name dropping, the last thing is if you want a hardcore band for the reference point for this band, I think, and for Finnish stuff in general, it's Chromags. Uh, yeah. And I've mentioned them some recently, like go, hearing Best Wishes for the first time, which I, which is the Harley only one, so I, I, I had sort of skipped past over mm-hmm. it. And then, of course, it's just like just as good as Age of Quarrel, if not better. And it's there are songs on that, like... Crush the Demoniac is an Impaled Nazarene song. Like, it sounds like it's on Suomi Finland Perkele. That's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it, it just, and the sense of just heavy, the mid-tempo breakdown stuff is also very sort of chromagsy. Uh, so I, I've been talking about them a lot. Like, I talked, talked about them on the Ares Kingdom review, but I think it's probably an important band for hardcore in extreme metal. Um... Other song like performance thing uh, with the actually sounding really fast and emphasizing heaviness things is the fucking vocals, dude. The vocals on this record are actually we don't talk about vocals a whole lot on this show unless they really stand out, and here they are fucking ooh the the highs, man. Those those blood curdling fucking highs. Mm-hmm. They're not like anything else I've heard in this style. They're so unhinged sounding. Those sound kind of like gore grind vocals. 
Yeah, they, it sounds or like, like crust grind kind of like. Yeah, they've got this like weird whistle tone behind them. They're so <laughs> shrieky. <laughs> there be yeah, there's it's sort of like not a full it's not a full scream. It's being kind of like howl yelled. Uh it's um it's got really, it's got that strangled quality that just makes yeah. it sound so painful. Yeah. Yeah. And so a thing about it, right, is that um they're not overly concerned with um, superficial sounding tough. Yes, Those vocals yeah. are not standard. Like I'm going to show you how bestial this is, right? Yeah, they're like and almost DSBM like. They're way. all DSBM like. They're they're weird, right? They have the like, you know, the way that like, you know, back in the day, if you played people Emperor, right? They would, you know, if you play that for someone who was like into hardcore or something, they might not even understand how early Emperor sounds hard. They're just like, this sounds disgusting, right? <laughs> like, it's um, and that's an that's an important part of the heavy. It's it, there's a they get this kind of um, shrieking goblin esque aggression in those vocals <laughs> that is just very important in black metal. Yeah, and I I think that what's cool about it is that it's like 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 they're not worried about looking cool. Everything on this record, they're completely unconcerned with looking cool. They just they just effortlessly look cool. <laughs> exactly. They, yeah. Well, they don't need to look cool because they are cool. Yeah. <laughs> and one way you be one way you be cool is by being batshit insane. Right, yeah. and so there's there's way more aggression here. The lows are good too, and the lows provide the more sort of a burly tough guy attitude, and it's not buried in kind of um, yeah, it, it's not, I don't know, it's not buried in generic folk, generic sort of war metal grunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, the, the and the other thing that I really like about those highs and about this record in general is that. I've talked about this a few times on the show, but it's like at this point when you listen to metal and you listen to extreme metal for so long, you get so kind of inoculated to the aesthetic. You like forget that this shit is even supposed to be scary, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's like, and then it's like you hear vocals like that and it has like a legitimately kind of unsettling quality and it kind of snaps everything into focus and you're like, oh, no, I actually am listening to an album with a woman eating her own newborn infant on the cover. <laughs> like mm -hmm. this is actually making me feel the way it's supposed to. <laughs> and then uh, last thing before we move on, I love that these guys maintain the uh, the pitch shifted gurgle stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the ultra guttural vocals. I believe if you're a war metal band and you skip that part, not cool. That is an essential part of this mm -hmm. thing. If Goat Penis kept doing it, you have to keep doing it too. <laughs> and that that, that that also goes for the steroids and the flamethrowers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, flamethrower law might be a little different in Finland, but it's a big country. They can't get all of you. They, they, in, so. they invented the, the Molotov cocktail. I'm sure it's fine. That's true. It's, um, yeah, so the, um, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you get a, they get a pass. It's, um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, let's listen to the next track, um, Celestial Destroyer. Honestly, it almost feels like cheap to end Burned Faith at the end because the beginning of Celestial Destroyer just has this blood-curdling shriek that's clearly sort of the end to the last track. <laughs> um uh but um but this is uh 
Yeah, so, uh, you know, one way that they have written this like a hardcore record is that it's written as a whole record with tracks interacting with each other rather than being self-contained units. Uh, they'll, there's a meaningful way that one track will set you up for the next. Mm-hmm. But we're going to skip about a minute and 40 into Celestial Destroyer. Uh, and, uh, I don't know, let's, um, let's listen to it. turned into a conqueror song (laughs) which now that i'm remembering the interview i think they say is like their favorite 
war metal band or they have like somebody has a conqueror tattoo uh mm-hmm. they're um so by turns into a conqueror song i mean for people that it becomes extremely noisy at the end right you get that deliberate illegibility and the sort of um scraping guitar tone and that they open the song with that too uh and that is a yeah so so that's not a technique they use much on this record uh maybe one or two other times they go that far out into noise stuff mm-hmm. um well they uh, and, they also do it at the very end of the record cuz this is this is uh an album that's clearly designed to be split into like two sides on vinyl yeah cuz we've got each side concludes with a, an extended track that's around 6 mm-hmm. minutes long so i yeah. think this is supposed to conclude side a Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, and it's symmetrical with the rise of Iconoclast, which is also a great song and mm-hmm. also sounds really fucked up. Yeah. So, speaking of which, um, the riff in the middle of the song, right? That uh, really extended one. That though, that is just the weirdest set of intervals. It's like a skin chamber riff. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're playing. It's like the power chord is already a tritone, and you're sliding it around. I don't know. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's it's very weird voicing, and it's like it's that's like portal level kind of dissonant interval. Shit. Yeah, and you they are hitting a thing that sounds like an anvil, which uh, is always an extra point. <laughs> I was actually thinking, is, is there anything that could be added to this record to improve it? And the only thing I thought was, uh, uh, I noticed a conspicuous laugh of evil laughs in the vocals. This would oh. definitely be a record that could feature a lot of evil laughter, and that would be cool. What do you think about, like, Satanic Sluts moaning? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get, let's get, like, porn samples and You want to put laughs. those over, yeah. yeah, you gotta put those sort of over some of the really fucked up riffs. Like, if you had that in an <laughs> anvil sound and satanic sluts moaning, Jesus, right? <laughs> um, you know, so, I mean, also, if you put the anvil sound over the blast beat sometimes, I would, that would make me very happy. Make it, make a blast beat with the anvil sound. That's what I mean, yes, yeah, <laughs> Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, um... So, so yes, it is very heavy. Um, but yeah, so a broader point about that, right? They're very aware of the idea that like they have no pre-made rules about what they can or cannot use, and they understand that the vagueness of the term war metal is an advantage. <laughs> that yes, it, right, yes. it's a vibe, and it cuts across a whole bunch of different things. So there's no reason that you can't have songs that sound more like Arch Goat, songs that sound more like Ride for Revenge, songs that sound more like uh, Blasphemy, right? Some of the, the album opener is much more, and even the first two tracks are kind of much more like Blasphemy-ish. Um, uh, you, there's no reason, and there's no reason you can't have tracks that sound like just straight up noise stuff like Conqueror. So it's, um, uh, and no reason you can't employ a bunch of death metal technique, right? There's um, specific death... There's, like, really death metal-y riffs on some of these songs. I think on Blasphemous Psalms of Cannibalism, right? Um, yeah, 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 there's a lot yeah. on that one. Um, no, but you're, you're, you're totally right. The strength of this record is the fact that it, it has a broad set of influences that are, despite how broad they are, are all basically contained logically within this niche... 
but it doesn't feel like um, it doesn't feel like they're checking boxes. Yeah, that's the other thing I had. I had my notes right. So you can't have a band that's just like a grand tour of like war metal in it, right? It could be like eclectic. This grab bag of ideas and it's just like well great you did all of them but none of them are particularly good right it could be an exercise in style sort of cut and pasted together i think what's important is that this kind of does the opposite thing it's you're using all these styles but they're not they're not the point of the record the styles are places you're going for techniques for tools and the what you hear overall by hearing them going through all these different musical configurations song to song, what emerges is a a clear sense of how this band, how Blood Chalice plays war metal. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's by hearing all these variations, you're like, oh, there is something underneath these that is holding them all together, which is how this band writes songs. Mm-hmm. There's um, a continuous thread through everything. Yeah. They are songwriting on a level that is far beyond riffing style. Uh, And, you know, that's another thing, right? We've talked before about how, like, if war metal is to, you know, lead to interesting things, we have to get past the idea that, like, right, the sort of, like, right, if the the sort of... um, Right on a galaxy brain chart, the the the, the no brain thing is just like oh really loud yeah war metal fucking blasting <laughs> and then you know like the second level is like oh it's war metal but like it has good riffs like it, <laughs> or or really they just say it's war metal but it has riffs and then it's like well and and I said that one day too we all said that but then you realize oh, that's just what everyone says about the war metal they like. Yeah, yeah. And the, the the place where you, the real galaxy brain is that, like, it's about how you, the next level is like, no, it's it's not about riffs. It's just, a, it's about how you're writing the songs. And you have to write the songs in a way that allows us to get, it's just fucking noise, just blasting. <laughs> we, have to, we have to arrive at the noise and the blasting and the ooh in a compelling mm-hmm. way. Yes, you know. yeah. Uh, speaking of which, you want to just listen to a really fucking cool song with a lot of grind parts? Yeah. Sure, let's listen to uh, uh, From the Grave of Livyatan. Leviathan, I think. Leviathan? Oh. Well, okay. it's like it's like a fancy spelling, man. It's like Dark Kabbalah, bro. Oh, sick. I can't wait to consult a verse Sephira. Oh, <laughs> 
what a what a ghoulish fucking track that is. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I was saying while I was playing is this sounds really this sounds like fucking repulsion more than anything. I was like listening to it's like I was I was listening to like the opening uh, section where the vocals come in, and I'm just thinking to myself, "You're rotting maggots in your coffin. You're rotting maggots in your coffin." I think it might be like a play on an actual repulsion riff that they're playing right there, um, and it's just fucking awesome. They've got that that primitive like early death grind energy. Uh, which is something I've always really loved, you know, terrorizer, repulsion, sort of like early grindcore slipping into death metal. And of course, that whole passage with those blood-curdling shrieks against the pitch-shifted vocals is just one of the coolest and most memorable parts on the record. I have no idea what the high vocalist is, is screaming, but it sounds like he's just shrieking, oh my god, over and over again, like some sort of panicked victim or something. <laughs> With all the gurgling playing off it dynamically, and it's just, it's it's so fucking cool. This whole album is so effortlessly fucking cool. To discuss a record titled Completely in Runes, which translates roughly as, what, what was it, Surter, Surter's Wound? Yeah, Surter Wounds. Surter, and it's like, it's Surter like a, Wounds. It's a transliteration of the, yeah. uh, the rune, yeah. so it's, just, it's yeah. just using an alternate alphabet. 
Yeah, and um, this is it's it's from the UK, and it is out on Inverse Solar Requiem, uh, basically Requiem uh, with a V and an R. Um, and this is a label that uh, I've been meaning to cover for some time. It's a very it's a it, yeah, it's a very underground tape label. Uh, they do have a Bandcamp presence that's pretty good, but it's very much meant to be secondary to the hard copy. Um, honestly, if there's something I feel a little bit guilty about this far into the show, it's that we've been a little like reliant on digital. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so easy to keep track of everything through YouTube and Bandcamp, but you know, Bandcamp is an increasingly shitty platform for all sorts of reasons, and yeah. uh, you know, so. I'd like to work when when we have more time. I'd like to work to get more stuff in this neck of the woods back on the show. And um, what's cool about this, I've listened to some. Uh, most of them have the whole mood for this is like um, sort of dark Germanic heathenism, but not in the lame way. <laughs> it's it's not the whole like inverting paganism and accidentally being Christians thing that a lot of these bands do. Um, it's, it's, it seems like very actually pagan, but sort of, yeah. So maybe a better phrase would be like nightside Germanic paganism, just like, you know, really dark Odin and, uh, you know, well, it's, and, it's uh, interesting because nocturnal it, witchcraft, it looks like in the description that they mm-hmm. upload, it's supposed to be based off like, like sort of Neolithic Celt and Breton stuff. No, no, it said it was like his other project, which was about Neolithic Celt stuff. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. So this is like, so yes, he has another project, uh, Voids of Nirvana, which is dedicated to that. Um, but this is focused on Norse stuff. This has, um, yeah, and I was talking about the label in general. Inverse Solar Requiem generally oh, has this sort of dark, like. N- you know, nightside pagan vibe. Um, reminds me of God. It reminds me a bit. It's a band. It's it's. You know, the, the general vibe of the label is uh, a little bit like Eisenskur. Okay. Um, yeah, I can. See you know, that. think like really just midnight e- paganism that is uh, ex- extremely strange and hallucinogenic and midnight, and uh, you know, with, with an emphasis on that. Um, and a lot of the bands have names that are completely unpronounceable. They basically <laughs> seem like uh, sort of um, aggressively uh, aggressively evilized Welsh or something. You know, like they, they have names like let's see, um, what's what's the um, include Includer Vernon I cannot say it. It's um or Venomous Gorvlade or yeah, it is a if there's something like deeper who knows, maybe these are just very complicated words in Welsh or there's something more esoteric going on. But uh at least on a surface level what they've done what this guy with his label has done is figuring out uh how to do a distinctly uh, British take on the uh, the the LLN type naming? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know they they all sound very Brit you know Britonic, and they uh, 
but they are complete, just maniac, maniacal black metal gibberish, which is cool. Um, and so, yeah, so cool label, and the band's aesthetic is pretty in line with that. Uh, the yeah, you know, this record has just a classic runestone carving of uh, an Odinic sacrifice being carried out. It's basically the only stone we have with the Volknut on it. Mm-hmm. I think it's like it, you know that's become this symbol, and the weird thing is that nobody really knows what it means. You basically have to infer from the context that it's this symbol of Odinic sacrifice. Um, but the um, but yeah, so it's uh, in some sense classic. It's activating classic, you know, uh, you know, like like Norwegian, Scandinavian pagan stuff from the second wave. However, the music is uh, the the way that this guy does that musically, right? And uh, uh, you know, Surter Wounds is very different. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a lot recently about the kind of, and I think we're going to talk more at the end of the year um, in our year end show about the kind of exhaustion of the not of the spirit of black metal, but of the outward form. Right. You know, genres, musical styles have, they do, you know, if you, especially if you're a pagan and you have a cyclical vision of history, right? Music genres have lives, right? Even the genres you love. And there are eternal things that are preserved and that can be carried forward. But for a genre, a style to maintain its vitality, it often has to transform sort of radically, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think we may be, for a lot of reasons, which we'll get into later, right? It's like a lot of the stuff that is most invested in black metal aesthetics now is just very weak or very derivative or very much totally not black metal. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of anti-black metal in some ways, right? Uh, and we're both increasingly interested in stuff that has the... Uh, the, the spiritual and ideological charge of black metal and that's powerfully influenced by it, but is building a new musical structures for expressing those feelings and those impulses. And this band is a really good example of that, I think. Uh, and, you know, that's not to say there's no, no place for playing more traditional sounding black metal stuff, obviously, right? Of course not. But, um, but like, yeah, but, but for this band... It's, it's exciting because this is a vision of someone who is really committed to black metal and for that reason almost sort of trying to push beyond, you know, push beyond into a new way of, of, of doing things. Um, and, uh, and, and doing it in a way that is kind of close to things I've been wanting to hear. You know, I've talked a lot lately about rhythm and physicality, improvisation, uh, noise layering, things like that. Um, things that are kind of, you know, present to certain degrees in some of the greatest black metal, but are not the focal points of the genre. And this is powerful body music. And I guess, you know, I guess we got to do the big reveal now, right? Death metal guy, like, this is basically... In musical terms, this would you could almost just call this a death doom record. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I think I this scans to me as much more of a doom metal record than kind of anything else. 
Yeah, it is. Um, it's it's very aggressive driving extreme doom. Um, I what I don't want to do is put it in the doom metal category. Like I think it's so clear in how he's arranging these songs. He's structuring these songs in a very black metal way. He's producing black metal hypnotism effects. He is going for this sort of uh, ritualistic trance vibe. The note choice, the the, the harmonies, it's all very archaic, folkish, black metal stuff. And I think if we just say this is a Doom record, then we're not giving him enough credit because it kind of gets stuck in the Doom box, which is already a familiar thing that we know. But if we say this is some new way of doing pagan black metal that maybe isn't black metal anymore because it's so influenced by things like Doom and Death Doom and just death metal and whatnot, I think that's like the more exciting possibility. Well, I mean, that's fair. I mean, it also just depends on how you read it because I read this in a very, very close comparison to the uh, Syndexioi record we covered a few months back. I think we, yeah, but I also thought of that one as pointing beyond black metal in really cool ways. And, and as, well, no, this is actually going to be like almost a reiteration of that review because that was another record that I thought of as like fundamentally like sort of a traditional doom record in weird ways. Yeah, where and I think the key is like this sort of traditional kind of metal heaviness is important. It was important to Syndaxioi, but in these kind of muted ways. Here, traditional kinds of doomy metal heaviness are very brought to the forefront. It's very yeah. central to this music. Um, mm -hmm. This is, um, but uh, but yeah, I guess I hear this as being more properly extreme metal than you do. Um, I think. Well, it, um, it depends. I mean, extreme metal is a pretty a kind of a nebulous term. I mean, can like this obviously slots into who's going to listen to this? People who people who listen to Death and Black Metal are going to listen to this. People who only listen to St. Vitus and Trouble are not going to be listening to this. Even if musically I think it has more in common with Trad Doom than it does Black and Death. It, part of it has to do with aesthetics and the kind of community it finds itself. Yeah, in. but I I think it's deeper than that. It emphasizes different it just you know, traditional doom is structured around ideas of songs, right? This is clearly structured around uh, driving continuous repetition and layering. The whole record is almost one riff um, that just mutates over the course of it. Yeah, I get that. Are you just going to yell at me until I agree with you? Is that is that how our relationship is going now? Yes. <laughs> Well, so let's, let's maybe we should go to the sample. Let's hear to what try it's actually yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, you got first one on this. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna go to um, the tr we're gonna go to the second. So there's okay. Other thing I should say up front, unless I'm really confused, I think there's a slight difference between the track numbering. I, I found this from the Rites of Pestilence channel. I should credit him for that. Uh, mm. And um, th that's pretty, that's like my favorite channel right now, I think. Um, and most consistently putting out stuff that I want to hear and want to put on the show. Uh, and the track listing on Rites of Pestilence is different from the track list. It's somewhat different from the timestamps on Inverse Solar Requiem. 
Uh, and I find that somewhat confusing, so I'm not sure. I think things even out over the course of the record, but the time... Our sense of which track is which part might not quite be right for the beginning and of the, the record. These tracks aren't, like, super distinct, like, individual entities anyway. They all kind of flow into each other, so it's it, it's yeah. not too big a deal. Yeah. No, it's, um... So, yeah, let's, okay, so I've, uh, let, let's listen to the, uh, I mean, what is in some ways I think the sickest riff on the record and the riff on the record. I mean, if this is black metal, this is bulldozer black metal. It's very, it's very ride for revenge. Yeah, I hear that for sure. Um, and with the driving one-two stomp, right? Now, I mean, stomp beats are very popular in black metal right now. Mm-hmm. But that kind of, um, but this kind of like, emphasis on the downbeat stomp beat and that's kind of rolling double bass groove right this is more like i mean that is much more like a doom death kind of thing um Mm -hmm. but it is it's also more like um 
you know, we're, we're, whereas a lot of stompy BM today is going for a sort of, uh, a sort of oi effect, right? Or a, or a hardcore effect. Um, this, if we, if we can find anything within black metal proper as a central reference point for this, it's gotta be Hades. Um, which is uh, basically after very similar things. It's just driving, su it's got like, I mean, I guess what this is is a lot like the the Viking era Bathory stomp, and the uh, Hades takes that and turns it into a consistent motoric bulldozer and puts these sort of textured folk riffs over it and sometimes chugs, and this is like a more death metal-y version of that, basically. See, it's interesting because one of the primary things that I scan off this is is really just sort of like primordial Celtic frost. Oh, I hear that too. Yeah, I definitely hear the Celtic frost. And winter. Yeah, Celtic frost, winter, even like more modern takes on that same idea, like coffins, stuff like this. All this stuff that is sort of like gesturing toward a certain idea of doom death. But then if you like really think about the interval choices, they're not really death metal riffs where they aren't yet. You know, it's primordial extreme metal ooze stuff. <laughs> um, and uh, I think the most interesting part of the execution of that conceit on this record is that sort of improvisational quality. Like uh, when we get into the second riff of that sample we just played, you can tell that there's little augmentations being thrown in on the fly. Yeah, they're constantly changing. Really, he's just tossing in like a a couple bonus intervals whenever mm -hmm. he feels is appropriate, but they're not written out. They're not established. I don't think. Yeah. Well, and if they are, he's done it by jamming it out many times. It's extremely intuitive. I think, I think a lot of these were, a lot of these tracks were probably written by, because most of these songs are based off just a couple like simple drum loops, pretty much. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing he's one of those guys that, throws on a drum loop and just plays over it continuously until he likes what he has. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think that's the methodology here. So it's sort of like one-man jamming, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's very centered on sort of like trance. Uh, he, he just gets in gets in the zone. He's, he's talking to Woden and just jamming it out. Uh, and so, yeah, so other things about that. It is... Um, <coughs> Although there is all this sort of obvious death metal chug in the riffs, um, there is there's always a folkiness to his playing. It never it's never jarring or out of place with the mood he's trying to evoke. Um, uh, there just is like, uh, but there's a different emphasis in the intervals, which we'll get into more later. There's uh, this is not focusing on being evil and it's not foot per se right this is not focused on like those narrow chromatic intervals in black metal and it's also not as focused on the sort of like um say like two three five six sort of motions that make things sound, have a certain sort of noble dorian sound whether you're getting that in you know, Finnish stuff or in Greek stuff or whatever. No, this is um, this is music that very deliberately does not want to sound epic. Well, I think it's very epic, but it's not sounding 
I know what you mean. It, it's not, it doesn't have, yeah, I guess it doesn't have the cliche epic intervals. Well, um, it's, it, it's trying to be muted and pagan in an everyday sense, you know. Hmm. It's it's not it's not about you know because I think the thing that links this with a lot of the stuff that you like is stuff that sounds okay. So you got stuff that wants to sound pagan, but the problem is the typical way that we access sort of pagan ideas in the mass culture is through these sort of period pieces that are naturally going to be sort of like overwrought and sensationalized and I think there's a population of people that want to get away from that and portray paganism as something more more earthy and day-to-day and like immediately physically accessible you know what I mean sort of I, I mean I hear this as like battle music or like ritual preparation for battle music I think it's it's very epic but like it's um but it is, I think the point, I think maybe, like, it's just not as, uh, it's it's way grittier. Yeah, I, I know what you mean about earthier, for sure. It is an earthy vision of, earthier vision of paganism. It's also just more manly sounding, right? The intervals here are, like, really strong-rooted, earthy intervals that you get in, like, Doom and Death Doom, right? There's, like, one, minor three, four, five, minor seven octave. Mm-hmm. Just like, um, and there are, you get more darker or more kind of epic half-step kind of stuff thrown in there to color it, but that's not the thing that is central at all. Um, and it's um, and it's all very like power chords and leads. There's not like the same emphasis on the kind of textured sliding chords that make so much of the modern black metal have this kind of gloss, as you're saying, kind of glossy cinematic epic vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I guess, yeah, it's it's not like, I take, I get what you mean in the sense that it's not like the big moments, on, it's not like Vikings, the show, right? Or like, um, and it's not, you know, um, Iron Maiden melodies disguised as folk melodies or whatever, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, so, and part of that, yeah, so there's this, like, this true sense of nocturnal weirdness to this, uh, and part of that is the drone effect in this. So you can tell he really likes Slavic black metal, but there's no direct attempt to imitate it. Um, there's a hate forest effect going on throughout this, and the emphasis on continuous root note, but it's being achieved mostly through chug. Um... And there is a drone, though, and the drone seems to be maybe continuous guitar, but it sounds like a horn. It'll become clearer on your next sample, but it sounds like there's a baritone saxophone (laughs) playing on this record, or a bass sax or something, Um, or a patch that very closely evokes one, like, resembles one. and it's holding down the drone there, and then it starts doubling the riff as the riff starts to involute more and become more sort of elaborate and folky. Uh, and that emphasis on sort of like savage war horn black metal is also just part of the most bizarre, gorked pagan beyond stuff. So I'm thinking like Vulcanaz, I think he probably likes. I think Vulcanaz might be a big reference point for this whole record label. Uh, and. Um, also, maybe like the weirdest BBH stuff, like Rundagore, where he makes the guitar sound like some sort of like gronculated horn. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those are the horns. What, what's your riff? 
so, uh, yeah, I want to go to what we think is track five, <laughs> which has some, some really interesting kind of riff ideas. So the opening riff is like a weird big charge-up riff that sounds a lot like Skin Chamber, which we actually mentioned on the last review, too. Because I think, I think it's, again, a left-field kind of comparison, but I think Godflesh is probably kind of central to this project. And I think it's... I think Godflesh is central to a lot more stuff than most people realize, especially anything anything that's trying to go for, like, deliberately primitive and minimal, but, like, strikingly weird at the same time. I think a lot mm-hmm. of, like, old Justin Broderick, you know, Godflesh, Head of David, you know, some of his kind of weird electronic side projects are all probably relevant. But then after we get that, we get into more sort of Chug-style riffs, and that's where we get into, of all things, a lot of stuff that kind of sounds like Crowbar. There's a, a, a few interesting, distinct ideas that occur there. So you've got that skin chamber charge-up riff in the beginning. And then you've got the second riff, which uh, I described as being kind of like cathedral. Uh, because it's got that, you know, it's, a, it's that, that simple chug pattern, but then with that big Phrygian turnaround on the back end. Mm-hmm. Which is, it's a very kind of like stoner doom thing to do. Actually, you know, like a lot of modern stoner bands would use kind of uh, intervallic choices like that at the end of those big kind of bracing chug riffs. But then after that little guitar fill, we get into that more complex palm muted riff, which is very crowbar with those sort of cool, um, like almost Celtic sounding, like stacking fifth intervals that he's doing on the turnaround on that third riff. So just basically what I'm saying is just there's a a ton of influences coming into the guitar here 
And a lot of it strikes me as sort of unusually bluesy for what you'd expect. And yeah, of course, it has that itself has its roots in Celtic music. But there's also certain guitar technique inflections that strike me as being part of a kind of blues rock tradition. Like certain slides, certain little trills he's doing are very... Um, very rock and roll circa like 1970s kind of ideas that have permeated those sort of sludge and doom styles as they moved on through time. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, so I hear, I hear the crowbar thing for sure throughout this because crowbar has these like kinds of bluesy, but very Gothic riffs, right? Mm -hmm. Really heavy. Um, I do hear that. Um, I think, this guy certainly, what I like about this band is he's certainly not afraid of sounding bluesy. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it's good that extreme metal, I mean, part of the quest of extreme metal has been to develop, you know, a musical vocabulary for guitar music that's distinct from that of the blues. But, you know, that can lead to then an allergy to any kind of heaviness associated with blues-influenced music, right? So, like, the, this guy's clearly interested in the heaviness of sludge and of classic doom and things like that. Um, uh, and th that is feeding into the music in a good way. I think that's, like, f feeding into the music in a really good way. Uh, um... I think like a lot of it is kind of a Rorschach test though, because the, the, the trills and slides are also a lot like how Hades play, um, yeah. when they're doing the sort of elaborate halftime riffs that have like tales of a nocturnal empress has them or, uh, like I think maybe awakening of Kings or apocalyptic prophecies. They've got these sort of cascading things that sound like horns and fiddles welcoming people into the hall. And they also have the same kind of trilling effects. You know, who knows? I always connect things to Hades, and it turns out nobody ever listens to them. So oh, it's, it's the spite extreme wing problem writ large. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it feels so relevant to this band, but I have no idea if he likes Hades. However, um, you know, for all I know, he'll just be like, yeah, I like Crowbar and Godflesh, right? But, um, uh, but, like, it sounds like Hades. The other thing I want to talk about is, like, I want to do a bit of the, um, you know, the conspiracy theory uh, pushpin chart. Uh, what, right? what would it, what would Terminus be without it? Yeah. Hold on, so, we, we got to go down to Joanne Fabrics to get more yarn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the, um, so, I, I feel like the... All of these infl right? This band is cool because it basically activates this whole new nexus of reference points that are usually pushed way to the margins in black metal-y stuff and in pagan-y stuff, right? Uh, and they, all these bands we're mentioning actually connect to each other. Uh, and the thing that's, I feel like, at, there are a few ways of getting, like, warmer and warmer. So, um... The most, like, closely relate, like, the most close-to-home kinds of doom or death doom I can think of for being relevant to black metal is peaceful funeral doom. Or, no, peaceful gothic doom stuff. Yeah. Or death doom, really. Um, and we've basically figured out over the course of the show that that appears to be a, a secret influence on a lot of midnight, like, on a lot of the more epic or even folky riffing in mid-90s black metal. 
Mm-hmm. Um, maybe especially for the Swedish bands, but um, but it's uh, but I think like those ways of writing really heavy riffs are really could be really central here. I was listening to Sh- uh, Shades of God today by you know Paradise Lost. That is kind of exactly what you're saying. It's very Sabbathy and therefore very bluesy, but they're death metal riffs, and they also have a bunch of sort of uh, minor scale folk inflection. Mm-hmm. Um, or just sort of like your gothic kind of neoclassical inflection to them. And they're just crushing. The record is very sort of driving and heaviness oriented. It's not yet, they're not yet getting into the more vintage doom thing. Um, for Cathedral, I see your Cathedral and I raise you Solstice Lamentations. Um, yeah, you're more familiar with that one than I am. So Solstice is, we usually talk about New Dark Age, which is their second record, and that's the one where it gets all Man of War and, uh, yeah, well, basically gets more Man of War and Bathory. The first one has the same themes. It's already got Viking shit on the cover. It's very medieval. But, um, you know, who was it? Who pointed? I, I think this was like, I don't know. Yeah, I should... I might have noticed this on my own, but I should credit him. In the Bandcamp comments, Brandon Corsair points out, I believe, that it actually sounds a lot like UK Death Doom, Lamentations. It's just UK Death Doom with clean vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of like Cathedral, but very medievally, less bluesy and classic doomy. And it has some of those Phrygian scale flourishes in it. Like, maybe almost to a surprising extent compared to their later stuff, which is very like Man of War Maiden tonality. Um, and so, uh, and what all, what Solstice, maybe Solstice especially, but really all those, uh, bands that orbited around the Peaceful Death Doom scene have in common is a huge influence from Stengecore and like Amoebics basically and Deviated Instinct. And that is also what's a big influence for Godflesh, like immediately for Godflesh. Like, when you listen to that, so, like, that sliding tritone riff at the beginning of the sample that you said was really Godflesh or Skin Chamber, Mm -hmm. it totally is. That's one of my favorite kinds of riffs, just... (laughs) You know, my buddy used to make fun of me for finishing every riff by doing that. Um, And that's, like, there's a specific... There are specific tracks that do that on, like, the first Bolt Thrower record, the first Napalm Death record, uh, and it's all coming from, like, Amoebics and Deviated Instinct. Um, and then, you know, the other band that does that a lot is Neurosis, who again are really influenced by Amoebics. So I feel like this band has activated this network of like American, bluesy American sludge, UK trad doom, death doom, and industrial. And all of that is related to the sort of the most pagan medievalist kind of, uh, berserk warrior crust and i feel like that's like the subtext here yeah i don't know if he likes amoebics i don't know if he even you know whatever right but this is this seems that's a whole cluster of things that is all relevant to this oh, yeah. does that I mean, make sense well yeah i mean what you're describing is a, a whole bunch of guys that were in the same place at the same time I mean, all of those guys are right around each other in England between, you know, 87 and 93, oh. and they all know each other. Yeah, all those yeah, exactly. They literally all know each other, right? Yeah, um, yeah. and like... I and, mean, um, go on. 
Well, I was just gonna say, like Justin Broderick, you know, he was he was in Napalm Death very early on for mm-hmm. a brief period, and he was hanging out with all the other crust guys and shit, and all of those guys in Napalm Death, and all the uh, all the Doom Death bands were all listening to fucking old industrial tapes by Throbbing yep. Gristle and stuff like that. So all these ideas yeah. are are yeah. all interacting with each other, yeah. and basically the entire geography of that has been imported wholesale into this music. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, that's 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 a that's yeah. An just just way of all the that. all the interactions are maintained. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, maintained at a musical level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's like if you watch the early interviews with uh, Paradise Lost, like in that grind m- misnamed grindcore documentary. Oh yeah, I love um, that. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, but they're clearly crusties. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, at least some of the members when they're t- like the guy still got dreads um, and talking about liking Venom. <laughs> um, it's uh, and you can really hear it in the sort of totally nasty, fucked up intervals on like, you know, gothic or whatever. But um, but yeah, so basically you take that whole net nexus of like burly, physical, bleak, primal music and you can basically rebuild the idea of black metal on that basis. And that's very exciting. Yeah, no, I, I, I get what you mean. I, I, mm-hmm. I get the impulse behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, so real quick, let's go to track eight, what we think is track eight. And <laughs> uh, here I'm going to have some... Uh, Trick question. It's uh, They're all track nine because, because Odin. <laughs> Jesus um all right so track eight uh we're, we're gonna hear some more stuff that is like again sort of like distinctly crowbar and and sludge and i i kind of have a question sort of related to you talking about this being a musical rorschach test um let's listen to this and the question that i want to raise is what does this sound like with a very different production job mm-hmm
God. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it's, it, again, going back to that Rorschach test thing, it's interesting because I guess that, like, oh, you, you, know what a bu- you know what a bunch of us talking past each other has to be? It, it's that I, I grew up on just, like, so much southern rock and shit. Like, that was, yeah. like, central to me growing up was, like, blues rock, southern rock, stuff like that. So I just immediately associate all of these intervals with that stuff. I mean, you know, like, I get it. I mean, I also, you know, yeah, I guess it was definitely more central for you. But, you know, I like Led Zeppelin and shit and plenty of bluesy stuff. And, um, I, I or, saw you know, I listened to the, you know, the Stooges, right? It's Black Metal Guy. Not... Black Metal Guy, I saw Skinner live when I was, like, okay. 10. No, no, I, you're on another <laughs> level. You're on another level. So, um... Yeah. Also, you're from the South, but um, <laughs> so I get why you asso- I get why you associate it, and like I think you're right. Like there there are like ways that doom bands bend these riffs that clearly do come from blues playing, and I think he's trying he's using them in a way that suggests primordial European folk playing. Does that make sense? No, I get that. I mean, well, it's, we've already we've talked plenty about the idea of the blues is ultimately descended from like Scotch Irish folk music melodically. So well, I mean, well also. Also, Mali and guitar music, right? Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. like African rhythms and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff going into it, but sort of like the the primary musical. Term, I mean, the whole conceit of the pentatonic scale is Celtic. Yes, yeah. And so. we we've talked about like, no, it's also in Mali and Mali and guitar. Oh, music. is it too? Yeah. But that's kind of what we talked about. It's like you know, there's it, chads of all cultures agree that you <laughs> the, know the pentatonic that, scale like, is cool. That yeah. those five notes are all you need to just be turgid. <laughs> right. Um, and that's the point. It's like black metal. One of black metal's problems right now is that it is, uh, it's far up its own ass in frilliness, mm-hmm. which it confuses with being triumphant. And it is, uh, bl- black metal has lost a lot of its masculine vigor. And this is very masculine music. Uh, yeah. and it's accessing that via all these different traditions of just pentatonic brute music. Um, and you know, we were talking about the musical Rorschach test for that riff. So when, so I, I gave my answer, right. That first riff when, when, you know, that had those, that sort of lurching bend and those mm-hmm. kind of dis cascading dome, dome chords descending. I was like, Oh, neurosis. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, crowbar. And mm-hmm. these are, I mean, those are bands that have like toured with each other multiple times and like share a ton yeah. of DNA. Uh, with each other musically, so it's 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 both really. And and one thing I'll give you on that front is that uh, Crowbar probably on average has better riffs. Um, well, yeah, but Neurosis uh, isn't a riff band anyway, so that's what I mean. I was gonna say Neurosis is not. It it really is not riff based music and hasn't. They they can produce fantastic riffs when they want to, but the whole way they construct they construct things as different. The part that struck me as really neurosis there was those sort of like just big falling chords. Um, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, those, um, those like, those like double octave chords. Yeah. 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 Ne- yeah. It's, um, the, um, but yeah, so there is, uh, I don't know, you know, basically this, this record will put some hair on your chest. Um, well, well here's the, the other question that I was asking before we listen to these samples. So uh, another thing that kind of like leads me in that sludge doom direction is I can very clearly imagine this without the delay mm-hmm. and like polished up a bit. And I, I, I feel like 
I feel like on this production, this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I would say on this record, the production's doing a lot of the heavy lifting for some of the weirdness of it. I think that if you maybe record and produce this in a more straightforward way, you have something that is a lot more straightforward. You know what I mean? I Well, I think it would be on you. Well, think about the end of that sequence, how it was just like, boom, down, 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 just like stomping for infinity. Like, that's, it's like a sludge riff, but that's not really what sludge fans come for, you know? Like, it's, I know what you mean. I, I feel like the music is so focused on brutality that it's really not what the stoner sludge doom crowd is looking for. Um, I get what you mean that it would be more accessible. Uh, mm-hmm. For sure. For sure it just would. You could give this a massive production and more people would like it. And, I mean, honestly, right? Like, the people, the kind of sludge guy who really likes the first High on Fire records, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? With the, with that that guy might like this, right? Um, the, but, like, it's, um, there's a certain kind of, um, I don't know, primitivism and single-mindedness about it, and, like, the lack of those sort of big... It doesn't have those big swinging Sabbath parts. It's yeah, very, yeah. like, just like, jong, 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 jong. Oh, yeah, it's, it's um, definitely deliberately stripped down. Yeah. Yeah, and so so I hear what you mean, though. Like, it is fundamentally, these riffs are very accessible. It's like, do you like big riff? Right? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you do you uh, right do, do you like big riff um and the band that i was thinking about that like has done quite well commercially that this reminds me of is cobalt yeah yeah well it, um, cobalt, cobalt is another weird thing where it's like a very weird kind of person listens to cobalt like a kind of person you don't see around nearly as much these days. That's kind of what I'm saying. Like that, yeah, that shit has been forgotten. So I, I, in in this quest for you know how do you save black metal from black metal, I have gone back to back to uh, Cobalt, and Eater of the first record War Metal and Eater of Birds are mm. just killer. Um, Eater of Birds is so good. And it's very much in this thing of, like, let's take black metal sensibilities and instead of having black metal as providing the, uh, the lang- instead of black metal being, like, the, gra- the language, yeah. the grammar of the language, right, all it becomes is syntax. Black metal, like, musically, black metal provides certain techniques in certain spots, but the organizing principle of the music becomes very different, and it becomes way more like... Uh, the kinds of heaviness you get in Tool and American Sludge, mm-hmm. um, and in Crust stuff, and it's just it. The spirit is extremely black metal. You know, Phil McSorley makes it just like extraordinarily violent, um, and the riffing is crushing. But it way it's way more about these sort of um, brutal body music riffs that are not you couldn't really need. You couldn't tell someone this is the big riff, right? Because they all just work together to be really heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, I feel like this, the, you know, this guy, uh, you know, Surter Wounds really gets that, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, so luckily it does the it does the heavy part again. But um uh so this is like is this the first this is the first place on the record where there are blast beats, right? I think so. They're used very sparingly. Yeah, so this is what I meant, right? Like black metal is now uh you know, about black, you know, the ideas of second wave black metal being demoted from the language to the syntax, right? Instead of instead of giving the style, the overarching style, instead of setting the rules for song structures, it's 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 a it's an arsenal that he can use when he wants to and how he wants to, whether it's to like shape the feeling of some of those big slow riffs or here to just pull out a blast beat. Right. And here there's it's completely it's not like he's just dropped a black metal part in. He's the uh, he starts layering on this kind of like, you know, glimmering BM guitar over this over the heavier the stomp riff. And then when he blasts, he preserves the low end heaviness and he keeps the basic intervals of all those riffs in the blast riff. Right. It just becomes suddenly this very epic blast riff. Suddenly we really have some of that more classic kind of Dorian scale uh, ascending feel like. uh, And then and then he just does. He cataclysmically fucks the riff up on purpose without diminishing the momentum. Do you did you like did you catch that? The like the basic mode is like dum 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 Yeah, yeah, he does like a deliberate fumble there. And it's a five bar phrase. It's um so he's doing some cool complex some cool rhythmic stuff there, and you know, like uh it doesn't in any way break the feeling of that riff. And he gives you the hypnotic repetition over and over again, but he's not, um, there's a place where I think on this track, you know, I think you're right that for a lot of the record, the weirdness is coming strictly from the production and the kind of like ambient industrial intercept, like, like interludes and whatnot. But like here, I feel like that sort of weirdness that's always been around the edges as the, uh, um, around the edges in the atmosphere really gets like woven into the fabric of the riffs 